This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, welcome to the conversation. We've got a, a really interesting story for you guys about pesticides, whistleblowers, how dangerous are they, and um, whose side is the EPA on? Sharon Lerner uh, is an investigative reporter at The Intercept, and she broke these stories. So Sharon, welcome to the uh, TYT network. Thanks for having me, hi. No problem. So Sharon, let's get right to it. it you've uh, got a lot of information here. The most recent is about whistleblowers. So let's talk about that. Who are these four whistleblowers and what did they say? Yeah, so these are four scientists, four PhD scientists who work in the Office of New Chemicals in EPA. And their job is to look at chemicals that companies want to bring onto the market and assess them and, and tell the EPA whether they present a serious threat to human health and the environment. And what they told me was that on many occasions, they did find threats. And that they tried to report them, but that their supervisors basically pressured them in many cases from accurately reporting the hazards they saw. And these are things like neurotoxicity, which is you know brain damage, um, cancers, and birth defects. So there are some pretty serious charges that they're that they're making. And and I should say that they gave me a very very detailed account with lots of evidence, documents, screenshots. And this is really technical and kind of hard to convey for them and for me too, in terms of it's like, a, you know, it's about chemical structures and, and you know, the, the process that they go through of evaluating them is very complex. Um, so it was a bit hard to translate, but I can tell you having waded through it, that um, there is a very upsetting and very credible story that they brought. So Sharon, I want to get to who corrupted this process in the first place, because I think that tells us a lot about our government. But before we get there, there's so many questions I want to ask. For folks at home, is is this mainly affect farm workers if the pesticides are dangerous? Or mainly affect the consumers who are actually eating the food with the pesticides on it or both? Okay, so there are two, the confusing thing is there are two different stories. The one that came out today is about whistleblowers in the Office of New Chemicals. And those are not pesticides, those are chemicals that are used in other parts of commerce. I did come out with a big story this week about the Office of Pesticides, and both the Office of Pesticides and the Office of New Chemicals fall within the same overarching division at EPA, so they're related. And a lot of the problems are overlapping, so that's for sure. And in terms of pesticides, I can tell you that the influence comes from the companies that make them themselves. And we are seeing a lot of the same problems there where where scientists who really care about the mission of the EPA and what they're supposed to be doing there 
are finding problems and trying to report them and often being shut down. Um, I There were so many examples of this. The, uh, one of the ones that really took my breath away at first was um, hearing about what uh, and I should say for the pesticide story, I spoke to 14 people who have worked within in that division um, or still work there. And one of them was telling me about what they call yes packages. Yes packages are, it turns out, when a member of Congress or a senator will reach out to the EPA on behalf of a company that makes a pesticide that is being reviewed and say like, hey, speed it up and also make it come out okay. And I was hearing from the scientist about the yes packages that basically, you know, if you don't have enough data, if you see problems, we don't care. Make it fit, make it work, make it pass. So these are the kinds of things that you know sort of really dispiriting when you when you think about the, those things do end up on your food. I um and and do and some of them do anyway. Uh, and and so I think in both the new chemicals and the pesticide story, we have the link of there are real public health issues here where. There are real dangers being identified and dismissed and buried by the EPA. Okay, so that gets us to the heart of the issue, which is um, I was told that if you work for the government, your job is to protect the people. Okay, <laughs> pause for laughter. Um, okay, so uh, please clap. Um, uh, so seriously, though, uh, we know that the government doesn't work for us, it works for companies. Uh, the question and the interesting part is why and how, right? So there's two elements of that based on what you've already said. One is why the senator cares. Uh, that's a little bit more obvious, but I'm gonna get to that next, okay? But why does the EPA administrator care when a senator writes in a letter and says, hey, I have, uh, I have these dirty corrupt uh, crooks who pay me off and campaign contributions. Can you please uh, poison the American people on their behalf? If you're an EPA administrator, why don't you go tell the senator to take a long walk off a short dock? Well, I should say it isn't always the EPA administrator. I think they're not always reaching out to the top. But the other thing is I really feel from having spent a long time uh, wading into this stuff over the past couple months, that it's wrong to think of the EPA as just completely bought and sold here um, and under the thumb of industry. I think really what's going on is that you have a battle within it, and you see part, you know, part of it are the folks who are. Uh, there's a big re revolving door issue with people getting jobs with pesticide companies coming from pesticide companies. Uh, and other kind of chemical companies with the revolving door. But also you really do have people who wanna do the right thing. And that's, you know, that's what, you know, with these whistleblowers, I, it really sounds like there's a battle going on and, and they're one part of it. And the other part of it is this sort of cronyism and corruption. And it's with pesticides, I can tell you that has been going on for a very, very long time. Um, and that it, part of EPA is particularly notorious for um, 
shall we say, having difficulties disentangling itself from the industry. And, and that has been since really the beginning of pesticide regulation from before the EPA was formed. And it was actually the whole agency was in part formed because of concern about pesticides because Rachel Carson wrote about them in DDT and everybody got sort of fired up as they understood that. And it was part of the goal to, to disentangle them. And we actually kind of got off to sort of a, an okay start with that. And But it really is, I think in large part about the incredible wealth and power of these major agrochemical companies that they've, I think especially in recent years been unable to to fight. I mean, in the beginning, we were banning quite a few pesticides, 12 in the first decade of the EPA in the past decade uh, one, so. Yeah, oh, oh, I assume the pesticides got much better. Um, so look, <laughs> it, it's it's disheartening and we do nuance on this show, so I, I uh, Obviously, understand, and I want the audience to understand. Nothing's black and white. There's wonderful people who work at the EPA, and then there are people who yeah. worked at the pesticide companies that should have never been hired for the EPA that have an obvious conflict of interest. More importantly, there are people who are going to work at the pesticide companies, which should definitely be illegal because that's nearly bribery. Our campaign contribution yeah. system with senators, I don't have to ask Sharon about. You all know that's legalized bribery. That why the hell is a senator writing a letter about pesticides? Oh, yeah. like he got all animated about how safe pesticides are. No, he took a bribe and then so he writes a letter. And so again, it's a legalized bribe called campaign contributions and then there's dark money, etc. You all know that. But Sharon, I wanted to ask one more question. So like you said, there's pesticides have been an issue for a long time and there's this constant battle where we don't know if the EPA is quite working for the American people or working for the companies. But with the whistleblowers, they seem to have some degree of significant urgency here. You explain in your piece that they went up through the chain of command, but they're worried they're still not getting any action. Two parts of that, one is with the new chemicals, how much of a new problem is it, right? And and then secondly, is this still happening in the Biden administration? Um, let me take the last part first. And. Sadly, the answer is yes. And I can tell you, so I spoke to four whistleblowers. Three of them were moved out of the division. They because they stood up to their bosses and they said, I will not change this. I, you know, this is the science. I'm not going to deviate from it. No, I'm not going to let you push me around. And so in three of those cases, they end up just being moved. One of the people is still in the division, and she told me that yes, the uh, messing with the science and the retribution that they've all faced it continues. So that is dispiriting. We've heard from Biden and from Reagan, the administrator, that they're really taking scientific integrity seriously. And I know that they're, you know, they gave us a nice response about it. The issue, one of the issues, I think, is that so far, this whole cleaning up of the EPA and other kind of science agencies. Um, has the the approach has been we're not going to punish anybody. It's like okay, we're just going to try to move on and look ahead. And I am afraid that in this case, the um, the the problem is so deep that it's not going to be solved unless people who are responsible 
uh, are held responsible. So I think that's the reckoning that has to happen and perhaps is going to happen where where it's, you know, people are going to have to name names to a serious investigation and actually root it out. You know, take the people who are are bought and sold and and get them out of there. I can tell you that um, with pesticides in terms of the revolving door, I did look at the directors of the Office of Pesticides and found that every single one going back to 1974 who continued to work after leaving the agency worked for industry in one way or another. So that's almost 50 years of like, you know, tangoing with with that. Yep. All right. Um, we're out of time, but the stories are amazing. We'll put the links down below in the description box, which you should always check out. Um, if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook and you're seeing this video. And uh, Sharon, thank you for doing great work on this. And this is why I celebrate The Intercept, because they care about facts, no matter which way they come out. And, and they don't do the silly things that the mainstream media does, that our politicians and our government is filled with wonderful, honest people that are having principled conversations. That's absurd. And so, uh, and and by the way, every, no one in the audience should be surprised. It's continuing the Biden administration. Everybody in, in media pretends Trump created every problem. He created tons and tons of problems. But corporate control of our government has been around for decades, well before Trump, and unfortunately, after Trump as well. All right, Sharon, thank you so much for joining us and for writing these stories. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right, back on the conversation. I've been looking forward to Alan Weisselberg being indicted for a long time, at least five years. I've said repeatedly on this show when no one else was talking about it, Weisselberg straight ahead. That if Trump was gonna have any trouble, it would be because of his chief financial officer in the Trump organization, the guy who keeps the books. Donald Trump is what is colloquially known as a moron and couldn't possibly do all the bookkeeping for himself. Hence, he must run his illegal activities through the person who keeps the books, and that's Alan Weisselberg, and he has finally been indicted. But are these charges the real deal? So that's the conversation. We're gonna bring on Ryan Barber here, he's justice correspondent for Insider. He's written about this, Ryan, welcome. Thanks for having me, I really appreciate it. Uh, no problem. So, uh, you know, we've talked a decent amount over the last couple of days on the Young Turks about uh, how serious these charges are. Uh, I'm gonna actually start with a funny quote that's in your piece from Trump's lawyer. He said, it's crazy that that's all they had. First, uh, that seems like a hilarious admission that there's a lot more <laughs> that the prosecutors <laughs> just didn't get it. Am I, I mean, am I hearing that wrong? A person who's innocent wouldn't have their lawyer go out. That's all you had. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think that I think there are a lot of different ways to read that statement. Um, I think he was using it more in the colloquial of, you know, hey, this is they're they're going to try to write this off as really. A minor type of they're 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 really going to try to write this alleged misconduct as hey businesses all over the country provide their employees benefits. It's common for certain executives to get cars and whatnot. So I think that is actually how I how I read his his comment. I think the way you did is is very interesting. But I think I think that's where he was coming from here. But yeah. you know, in a lot of the conversations I had in the in really since this indictment dropped and really showed us what the prosecutors have 
a lot of tax lawyers have, you know, on the defense side, who even some who've been on the prosecutorial side have said that they they believe the New York DA's office really has done what they needed to do to prove to to show that this went beyond those kind of corporate perks that we we see a lot in the corporate community. That this was you know not just cars, but it was also you know rentals and even even a kid's tuition. There was also there was also language in the indictment about cash and gifts and things like that. And one of the things that I personally found most amusing about the indictment was how closely the Trump organization tracked all this. They, there were a few mentions within the indictment of how the Trump organization maintained internal spreadsheets showing how Alan Weisselberg's official compensation was lowered in light of some of the, what the district attorney's office is now calling this essentially un, unofficial compensation that's at, at the root of this indictment. How, how one went up while the other went down. The two accounting for one another. That's that's one of the things that my eyes really kind of lit up about reading reading the indictment. That's really interesting. I had not seen that. So let me explain for folks at home. <laughs> that that's Donald Trump's cheapness coming back to bite him, because he's like, hey, hey, if I'm going to give you a condo, I want to lower your salary because of it. And then when they keep track of it, you just kept track of illegal activity. And I and I also want to clarify for the folks at home. The problem isn't giving a perk to an employee, the problem is not paying taxes on it. Especially when it's massive perks that are equal millions of dollars worth of the replacement of salary as they just showed you in the spreadsheet, that, right? And that's exactly right. I mean, what the prosecutors alleged is that Alan Weisselberg received what totaled $1.7 million in this type of essentially off the books compensation that he did not pay taxes on over a stretch of many years. And I think it's important to note here that Alan Weisselberg is charged alongside the Trump Organization. But at yesterday's at yesterday's court hearing, really a remarkable proceeding, the New York District Attorney's Office said that this was not one rogue employee. <laughs> that there there is plenty of room, it seems, based on everything we've been hearing from the New York District Attorney's Office, the New York State AG's office that's been conducting this this investigation in concert with the Manhattan District Attorney. There's plenty of reason to believe that that this investigation is ongoing and could, in fact, still reach the former president Donald Trump. There was talk in the in the indictment about Trump having signed some of the checks that we're talking about here. So this is this is far from the end of the you know far far from the end here. Ryan, I hear you on all that, but let's get the heart of it because look, Trump was elated when these charges were. Uh, announced according to people that are close to him, and and I believe that account, um, and and that's a curious thing to do when your organization has been indicted, uh, and it goes to the same point as as the lawyer, which is like I can't believe this is all they got when we've been doing a mountain of illegal activities. So which leads to the obvious question of what's the strategy here? Because if the prosecutors are starting with this as an appetizer, but leading to the bigger cases where they say, hey, listen, you cheated on your taxes entirely by lowering your the asset prices, values, the value of your assets as Michael Cohen charged in open testimony. Uh, and inflating their uh, value for to get loans to the banks. That is that's a bigger level of criminality. Let alone the Stormy Daniels hush money, which he's clearly guilty of. Let alone money laundering, and that's a whole nother thing, etc. So, uh, if if this is an appetizer, 
and they're gonna try to do dominoes, great, right? If you think Donald Trump did it. Um, but if this is all they have, then I can see why the Trump team's kind of excited by it, because it is the lower of all the charges that are possible. So any sense of whether it's the appetizer or the entree? So there, there's a lot of play here. I mean, we, what you often see in criminal prosecutions is the defense doing what they've done here, which is to say, which is to undercut the prosecution's case. Say, you're charging that as a crime, you have to be kidding me, this isn't criminal conduct, or your evidence doesn't support it. I, I think it's really a dangerous game for Trump to be playing to come off as so elated over what the, how these charges resulted because here's, I mean, here's what's happening. They've indicted the Trump organization, they've indicted Alan Weisselberg. This is widely seen as part of an effort to pressure Alan Weisselberg, who's been elbows deep in the Trump business for years, to flip on his longtime boss. So I, I wonder, given that Alan Weisselberg now has this added pressure, has the feel of the handcuffs around his wrists, as Michael Cohen put it. I, I, I almost have to wonder how Alan Weisselberg is feeling about Trump being so elated about this, because this is somebody you've worked with for decades. Um, you know, there are reports that they have a more a close working relationship, maybe not more than that. But I, 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 I was a little, I was a little astonished. I was a little surprised to hear the elation because, it, you know, if you're Alan Weisselberg, you have to be kind of scratching your head, saying, "Hey, I've worked for years with this guy, and he's coming off as elated about these charges." I'm probably not so elated if I'm being charged with tax fraud. Yeah, but I mean, look, if you were with Trump all that time and you didn't know he was an ass, <laughs> that's on you, brother, <laughs> right? And and that and that and that's and that's coming to play here. I mean, a lot of people are wondering, will Alan Weisselberg flip or not? And there are two schools. There there are a couple schools of thought of, hey, nobody wants to go to prison. Um, at the end of the day, here a lot of the estimates put his potential prison time at about, um, I think, two. I've seen as I've seen about two to a half dozen years at the top end. Um, so there, there are a lot of people who say who kind of come at it from that point, which is you don't you don't spend decades in the Trump organization working with Trump, um, allegedly doing his dirty business, only to have at the end of your career. Um, I, I believe he's in his uh, I, I believe he's in his seventies. Yeah, your your kind of come to Jesus moment, as they say, um, where you yes you fess up to all your sins. Um, so, yeah, he he. I mean, it, we're we're all having to do a little armchair psychology here, but um, it's it that that is that is I think a force um, that is that is proven to be challenging for the prosecutors, where he is he is at least as of now loyal. You know, we can't call it loyal to the end, but loyal so far. Yeah. So we we don't know if he's going to flip, and we don't know if the prosecutors are going to bring heavier charges. Later, right, and, mm -hmm. and and this is the Manhattan right. DA's office, but the New York State Attorney General can bring additional charges or different charges because they've been working on the case together. So those those are all mm -hmm. real possibilities. Uh, they charge the Trump Organization. Um, mm -hmm. You know, companies. They, obviously, the Supreme Court is full of crap. They're not actually people, <laughs> so they can't go to prison. So a, a normal layperson would normally ask, why bother? Criminally charging an organization. Yeah, so uh, yeah, as you said, you can't you can't throw a company in jail. But what you can do in bringing an indictment alone is really cast a cloud over a business. 
So even before you get to the question of a conviction or not, this indictment poses real you know, potential risks for the ongoing operations of the Trump Organization. We, we do not have a lot of detail on the finances and the loans of the Trump Organization. Trump has gone to great lengths to make that so and to shroud his financial records in secrecy. But there has been good reporting on it. And you know what we do know just from a general understanding of how banks work and how loans work. It's it's commonplace for loan for loan terms to allow to allow banks to you know essentially call on loans in the event of something like this, which is the indict an indictment, and that puts real just incredible strain in real time on a company. It also dries up any kind of loan funding you need for the ongoing operations of your business. And then there are countless other types of just business relationships that happen in the normal course of a company's operations that are jeopardized by this. Mm-hmm. There's nobody, no customary business wants to be dealing with an indicted company. And that's especially true in the banking and the financial sector where they have some serious regulation to deal with, serious regulators. The regulators don't want them to be dealing with indicted corporations being accused of years and years of tax fraud. Right, so uh, Ryan, there's a really interesting and important fact in there. So look, I've seen folks write about how the Trump organization's reputation might be ruined. (laughs) <laughs> what reputation? Um, okay, and the you know if you're still giving loans to Donald Trump, you're so unintelligent that you you know that no no one can help you. You might as well burn your money. The guy has bragged for decades about how he never pays anyone back, and he thinks that's smart business. So that's why I'm like, this is why did Deutsche Bank give him those loans? It makes no sense at all. He's never paid anyone. He's he's brags about he never pays anyone back and they're stupid for giving him the money, he says it publicly. So to me, the real deal is why did Deutsche Bank do those loans? That So that to me is that's the real deal, okay, and we'll see if we ever get to it. This is a snail's pace, but I know we're out of time, but I want the audience to understand the super important thing that Ryan said. If company is indicted, they, it could be in their contracts that you could call the loans. If they call the loans on Trump, it's an Epic disaster for him. He doesn't have the money to pay him back, and then he will not be so elated. So that will be an interesting thing to watch for here as this case goes forward. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate your time.